and welcome to my podcast. I am Donna O. I wanted to create a podcast that will allow us to see the world from new and different perspectives by having sometimes difficult and challenging conversations such as race or talking about lifestyle, health, relationships, and spirituality. If you're ready to begin a journey that will push you to open your heart and push you to change your mind, then please join me on Moving Through and With Heart. Hello, everyone. If you listened to my last podcast, then you will love this one. As I continue my conversation with Zai, Jayan, Margot, and Georgie on gender pronouns, gender neutral conversations, and being trans. While you listen, I ask you to take a moment and expand your perspective of the world and others. How can you begin to accept people that are not like you? How can you learn to be okay with the idea of the world being multifaceted? Being transgender, queer, gay is not a fad or a temporary situation. It is who they are. I believe that the energy of the planet is pushing us and moving us towards more acceptance and understanding that there is not one standard of gender or race, not one standard of how to act or believe. We are all different yet all connected. So I'm asking you, how can you be better and how can you be more? My name is Dane O and my pronouns are she, her. And I thought that you all could introduce yourselves. This is our second podcast. We're going to continue talking about gender and gender pronouns and different things like that. And so introduce yourselves. That would be great. I can go first. Um, I'm Zai. My pronouns are they, them. Um, Yeah, that's me. Zai, they, them. (laughs) Hey, uh, my name is Margot. I use she, her, they, them, and it, its as well. Hey, everyone. It's Georgie, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Marco, I'm curious because you used several pronouns, and I, I've i never heard the pronoun it, it's. Do you mind sharing? What, is, what does that mean, it, it's, and how can someone refer to you as it, it's, and why it, it's? Well, I, it, so just like any other pronoun, it fits in sort of like they, them, or she, her, he, him. Like, it's like... Uh, do you see it over there? It is like, or, or something like that. It kind of fits into the sentence the same way. But as for, as for why, I think, I think there's a few reasons. I mean, like you said, I use a lot of different pronouns, kind of. I've kind of, and it's kind of been a process for me, sort of exploring that part of myself as I continue to sort of transition and learn about myself. Um. So when I first came out, uh, I just used she, her, um, I, when I first came out as trans and that was, that was a difficult process to sort of figure that out for myself. It was a long time of sort of seeing, it was kind of something that I saw that I wanted, but I felt I had to justify and I had to sort of explore before I could sort of move into that. Um, and then again, later when I realized that I also wanted to, use they, them pronouns, it was another process of, again, going through that sort of same sort of 
exploration of my identity and kind of being like, why do I want this? Can I really justify this? Is this something that I want to do and everything like that? And kind of, and it was a struggle both times because not accepting it for myself sooner kind of meant that I just had to, I, I had to continue going along with things that weren't, weren't quite the right fit for me. So that was, that was a challenge for me. So when I, eventually I kind of came across other people who were using it, it's as pronouns. And I kind of, I saw that and I, I kind of identified that same sort of feeling of the, oh, this, this feels like it somehow applies to me. Um, but this time it was kind of, I don't know, most people, you don't have that same sense. It, it was sort of that gratification of seeing that being referred to me in, in such a way. And in my experience, most people who, for whom a pronoun doesn't apply don't get that feeling. So after having gone through that with all the other pronouns, it was kind of an, I, I was kind of able to more easily identify like, oh, this fits, this feels right, so I'll use it. Um, as for why, I, I've, I've since been able to like take that time to sort of reflect beyond that, kind of see why it, it means something to me. Um, sorry if I'm just like talking in a block of text. It's, it's a lot, but... It's fine. <laughs> Did I lose everybody? Did I lose... I lost Margo. No, I'm yeah, I think, it, I think it's just Margo. Their screen is frozen. Oh, they don't realize they're not here anymore either. Oh, yeah, she might not. Oh, that sucks. Dang. All, these, all these... I know! They were, like, getting right... <laughs> I don't know how the, to the internet is not on our side lately. So I'm curious. The last time we had this wonderful conversation and we talked about being trans, being the hero's journey and how and really owning who you are and discovering who you are and, and really stepping out and having the courage to be who you are. But I I know that there's got to be another side. I've seen a lot of stories of how challenging it's been for others. Not everyone's journey is quite so loving and smooth. And so some of the questions I have is like, when do you know, or how do you know, or how does it feel? And what are some of the struggles? Because it seems like for some people, it's so much pain. I thought that you could we could talk about that because I think I really want people to know how hard it can be for some people. Not everyone has, has the ability to have the experience of being accepted and loved for who they are as you all have been. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to definitely talk about how, how difficult this, this can be. It is a gratifying experience. It's beautiful being able to, find find who you are your inner your inner you your inner truth but it's definitely difficult I think it's it's also really important to notice that just like transness and transitioning is a very individual process that is very specific to each person um so is the knowing of of like coming to that realization of you know maybe this this isn't the gender that I really do identify with um it's it's I kind of make that connection to being, being queer, being gay. Um, people find out at different times of their life, but it's always valid. And I think that's the important thing, you know, right now you're hearing a lot of stories of 
of children that um, are transitioning. Um, and I personally think that that's beautiful. I think that there is a beauty in being able to find your inner truth and your inner you at such a young age. I think that there's a lot of hesitation too when it comes to these spaces to talk about the transitioning of, of kids and of children because we almost, um, I guess, minimize their ability to really know who they are. When in, in my mind, at least, I think kids really truly know who they are because they haven't been, um, you know, impacted by society in ways that force them to hide who they are. If that makes sense, they're they're able to really freely be themselves. So I think that that's that's the beauty of of finding who you are at such a young age. It's definitely hard. I mean, especially when it comes to parents. I grew up in a home where being gay was okay. Um, that was in a, a deal breaker. But uh, if I ever came home, literally, this is how it was said. If you ever come home as a woman, you have no space here. Um, so growing up in spaces like that, it's it's definitely difficult. Um, and a lot of my life has been spent on re-educating my loved ones on what it means um, to be transphobic, what being trans even is, because a lot of that really comes from a lack of knowledge. I definitely relate to that on a lot of different levels. Um, at least starting off with like the personal experience, I think that coming into yourself is really beautiful. But I think what kind of is unique to like the trans and the specific like gender non-conforming experience is that it, unlike sexuality, which can alter the way that people interact with you, um, I think being trans takes it to like a different level because it changes a lot of times the names that people use to refer to you and it changes the pronouns that people use to speak about you. So every sentence that now somebody has to construe about you gets altered. And I think that it requires a bigger commitment of reprogramming from your community than it would then, oh, okay, so you're just going to bring someone of a different gender home than we thought you would even though they're not to not to dilute or like minimize the the sexual orientation experience but i think when it comes to being trans that's why acceptance is a lot harder to see in certain communities than even with queerness um with even in internally within the lgbtq plus ia community there's so much um disagreement between people that are part of the LGB and then just want to cut the T off at the end because they see being trans as something completely different. Um, so I think that it requires a lot of reprogramming and conversations. Um, and I'm like, my personal experience, I found a really beautiful chosen family, but I definitely don't have a healthy relationship with my family around my gender experience. Um, only recently in like the last like two or three years have they come around when it comes to like my sexual orientation so I can like bring my partner home there's no problem um but it still was really difficult even when they said that they were accepting because I kind of felt gaslit a lot of the times because I spent the first nearly two decades of my life experiencing a lot of emotional and physical violence just for being queer um and so like my safety was always in question I remember even when I was like pretending to be an ally and working for a queer nonprofit that I got such an amazing position in and I would do all this incredible like radical work uh, on a grassroots level. Um, I wasn't even out to them, but my family was like, you either work there or you live here, but you can't do both. And I remember like they started picking up my things and throwing it outside of the house because they were like, you can't do that and live here. And I wasn't even out. I was literally just advocating for the civil rights of queer people. 
Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of difficulty and I think that it's gotten easier over time because I've found a lot of independence and strength outside of that um, and a community that I know that has my back no matter what. But it definitely took a really long time to get there. And with my family, I think trans is still really difficult for them. It's one of the reasons that I moved out because I can't be myself with my family and I don't want to feel in danger when I'm just at home. Um, and so it was one of the reasons that I moved out and it's, it's taken a long time. Like I know my dad, for example, went through this really weird phase where uh, the way that they found out was because I was online, um, just like presenting as myself. Cause I never hide myself. Like what I told them is I've never been in a closet. You just choose to not see it. Um, and I'm not going to have a conversation that's going to like endanger me for no reason if I don't think it's going to go somewhere positive or actually do anything constructive. But then they started seeing pictures of me on the internet and I was featured in articles and magazines speaking on like the trans experience. And then I remember one day my dad, after he had already gone through a process of understanding my sexuality through his limited perception for like a year or two, we were like in the car and he was like, you need to make up your mind. He was like, you either need to be a man or a woman, but I don't, like, he said it in Spanish, so it sounded differently, but just to paraphrase, like, in English, um, he was like, I don't fuck with this in-between thing. And he was like, if you want to be a woman, get the surgeries, get this, get that, and do it, but, like, you need to make up your mind. And then with my mom, like, when they see me dressed more femininely or they see me expressing my gender differently, um, they really don't know how to respond. Like my mom gets so uncomfortable. Everyone in my family gets so uncomfortable. And I feel like they've each had their own different journey coming to comfort with it, but it's definitely been uncomfortable. And I think it's one of the reasons, even to this day and age, I feel like I've just experienced a lot of physical and emotional violence for being trans, that even just dressing the way that I want to get dressed can trigger like a whole like two hour conversation with myself in my house. And then I just choose to not leave my house. <laughs> and then there's like all these like intersecting issues that just make me overthink just putting on clothes in the morning to like leave my house. Um, so yeah, I think culturally and communally, I feel like being trans just gets really complicated with people because you're asking them to rewire a lot of things and to choose you instead of choosing the majority society that they've all been molded to for like 40 plus years. I just want to clarify, but I just want to clarify that being trans has nothing to do with someone's sexuality. That is a completely different thing. So sexuality, um, there was a really good quote that I found today online. It says, um, a YouTuber, Brendan Jordan, describes it as sexuality is who you go to bed with and gender identity is who you go to bed as. So I thought that was great. So that being trans does not, you can be a trans woman and still be a lesbian trans woman, still meaning being a trans woman and still like women, or you could also be a trans woman and like men, or you could be a trans woman and be non-binary, right? Or gender fluid even. So it has nothing to do with your sexuality. Exactly. It just, it, it just technically like it, they work so separately, but they just affect each other. Cause for example, a trans woman that is only attracted to men is considered like straight. Like she's heterosexual because she's a woman that's attracted to men. Um, because there are a lot of people that don't understand that. And they're like, oh, like men are gay if they like trans women. And I feel like people need to like make that connection that like your sexuality is separate from your gender. It just happens to affect it. So like if you're a woman that likes men, you're straight and right. et cetera. You can be a lesbian trans woman, just like you said, or anything of the above. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to add to that too. Like 
there are definitely kind of different experiences too from I would say like where you start and where you went up and what I kind of mean is like as so as someone who's AFAB meaning a born assigned female um my experience is more invisibility um whereas going the other direction a lot of time it's hyper visibility so uh in my experience um I guess it can really a lot of the the harm and like what really hurts is just trying to explain or telling somebody like who you are and then them completely ignoring that over and over again. I would say also just the amount of, of violence. It's so strange because like being hyper feminine, I experience violence and also being hyper masculine when I was in high school and I decided to, uh, cut off all my hair. Um, immediately, uh, kids in my high school started calling me, um, the F word. Um, and I remember my dad being, my dad is gay. Um, so everyone on the podcast knows my dad, I've told him about that and he thought it was so weird. And this was before I was out as non-binary, but he was like, that's weird because like you're a girl, like why would anybody call you that? And I was like, well, cause they think that I'm a gay man. <laughs> and, um, that, I mean, well now that identity is not quite aligned with me, but a little more so aligned with me. That is like the impression that Lots of people have in public sometimes. I still get called that word. Like if I'm out with friends. Um, so, but I do want to make it clear that the basis for a lot of that violence is um, toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. So it's like, we are not the problem like the problem isn't even that people don't understand it is because you cannot understand something and not be angry and violent about it. The problem is this toxic masculinity of the, the threat of femininity um, and of this gender binary um, I think like a lot of of the violence does come from from cishet men who are angry and a lot of time it has to do with like their attraction to trans people and feeling confused themselves in the anger of like well if I'm attracted to you that must mean I'm gay and I can't possibly be gay and this is your fault so I want to be violent toward you. Um, so there's a lot of different angles that this can come from. Um, and in my experience, yeah, it's been being invisible. It's been being hyper visible. It's been being, you know, oh, you don't perform femininity properly 
or, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot about um, the, the anger of the potential of, of being gay or the potential of this person like threatening a reality. Um, but yeah, I want to make it clear that like, it's not, it's not um, being trans that is dangerous. It is toxic masculinity and transphobia and homophobia that is dangerous. Um, and that reaction of being angry with something that um, people aren't used to or don't recognize. Um, and yeah, it can be really scary. Um, like I was like just telling um, Jayan and Georgia a story about, you know, a time that I was with my partner and, um, you know, somebody was on a bus and it was like on Christmas too. It was supposed to be like a really lovely time. And this man was so, he was just so angry that we were there together. He was angry that he, he thought that my partner was a man. He realized that she wasn't. He was angry that we were together. He, he wanted to assault us. He told us over and over again that, and, you know, even after getting, we got off the bus um, early, even though it was in Montreal and freezing cold and he got off the bus the next stop and started chasing us and screaming that he wanted to like sexually assault us and kill us. And it was so scary. And, um, you know, we, we were lucky to get away from that situation, but it like, that was just like his reaction to sitting across from us. So yeah, it's, it's not, um, it's just for some reason when certain people see trans people, it invokes this like really scary messed up anger. Um, and, and that's, I think what's really dangerous. And then, and then on that flip side being ignored, um, yeah, people, people will choose to see what they want to see and just not listen as well. So that's the other part is just being completely ignored and, oh, the assumption that you don't know yourself. Um, that also hurts a lot too. So yeah, it can be scary for violence, but it can also just be lonely. Yeah. And, and even just to like add a little bit onto that too, like the weirdness of like, being alienated but then also being indoctrinated because I think that's something that I see a lot with trans folks is that when we say who we are and the gender that we are people are like okay well here's a new list of expectations that I need you to meet and I think a lot of folks that especially fall into maybe a more binary presentation experience that where they're like oh so since you are a woman these are the things that you need to be doing and if you're not doing those things you're going to be cast out even more so and you're going to experience even higher levels of violence which I wanted to touch on that super quickly just because I feel like we also briefly mentioned like young like trans kids and like the youth uh, the uh, the young generation like transitioning nowadays I think that it's really difficult sometimes to even facilitate healthy spaces for trans kids because so much of it I feel like for adults is operating out of fear 
and it's shrouded and like encouraging self-discovery but then the second that that trans child tells you what their gender identity is not to say that this is what everyone goes through but what i see happening a lot is like okay let's get you on hormones as soon as possible so you can like go into this path of transition. And while I think that for some people that's beautiful and that's what they wish that they would have had as a child, that's not everyone's path. And I think sometimes people focus so much on fixing trans people and molding trans people to be a certain way so that we don't create like friction in society and people don't have to look at us and be like, oh, is that a man? Is that a woman? What is that? But yeah, just that, just people either like completely alienating trans people, but then also accepting trans people under their own conditions and terms. And taking away trans people's freedom to be like this is the kind of person that I want to be instead of being like oh well I don't want to get assaulted on the street so let me conform so that I don't get assaulted on the street you know yeah I think the stories that I was gonna say and then I'll let you um share Margot the stories that we see mostly on tv are usually people that are in pain and wanting to go to the transition. We haven't evolved enough, I think, in media that we're seeing the stories of people that aren't trying to change their bodies, right? Or aren't trying to look a certain way or or, or moving gender fluidity, moving between um, male and female. So we're seeing more the stories that are still being told about trans people are the ones that are wanting to get gender um, re-identification surgery. Um, so you're seeing that more, that they're wanting to change their bodies. And so to completely transform into the other gender, um, which I think is interesting because it's so much bigger than that. And we're still just touching the tip of the iceberg as far as television and movies and things like that. What were you gonna say, Margo? I was just going to absolutely agree with what Georgie was saying. Like my ideal future as a trans person isn't one where I'm like basically cis. It's a future in which I can be celebrated and happy for who I am. And I think that's, and I think that's a challenge. Like Georgie was saying, like oftentimes coming out can result in another set of constraints that are put on you. Like as a trans woman who is like very masculine in my presentation and that's how I'm most comfortable. Like, when I came out, it felt like I was sort of training one set of constraints for another. It felt like I was training constraints on my gender identity for constraints on my gender expression. And it was kind of only when I finally let myself sort of break out of that, which was a long and difficult process, that I was able to sort of self-actualize and actually be happy in who I was. So I think it's, I think it's a real challenge to contend with that. And like Georgie was saying, that's often a matter of like, safety as well it's not just a question of like oh I want to present in this way because that's how I like it's also like well what will not get me assaulted on the street so I think it's it's constantly this balance and it's constantly this this question of do I live for myself do I do I compromise for others and it's it's that constant balance that can really weigh on you I wanted Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And then I'll go after. No, I just was going to throw that in just to compliment what Margot just said. It's like that weird romanticization of like the trans experience where like, oh my God, trans people are so brave. And it's like, people don't want to be brave. People just want to like be free and live their life. And there's this expectation of like, oh, but it's so powerful. And it's like, yeah, it's powerful. But like, 
we shouldn't have to go through that. And I think that's why my focus is always on society and culture and looking at how we can shift that instead of just placing this like, oh my God, you're so incredible for taking that on. It's like, people shouldn't have to take it on. Like you shouldn't have to choose between happiness and Mm -hmm. safety. And like people should, like, I I think really one of the things that people need to do first is just like listen to the person and what their needs are and what their desires are. Like the number, like it's, it was, it's been a journey like with my parents, but even as my parents were kind of sort of figuring things out, they were still very much like, my mom would be like, oh, do you want to, do you want to get makeup with me or something like that? And it's like, what, what about anything about me makes, I've never worn makeup in my life and have no desire to, that's not, that's not suddenly, suddenly changing or like, I don't know. It's just, again, it's just those expectations and that lack of sort of like listening that are, yeah, that's, that's on people. super, super, super a thing. Yeah. I, I just wanted to add while we were talking about like the, the danger aspect. Well, um, I know I was talking about toxic masculinity before, but I also wanted to add a different angle that has become really like popularized, unfortunately, um, via a certain author. Um, but, um, so essentially like also there is what is called a turf and a turf is a trans exclusionary radical feminist. And I wanted to talk about that too. Yeah. Radical. Um, I, wanted, I have never even heard that term. So I don't even really? know. I don't never heard the term ever. Never. Let's talk I, I'm about turf. Apparently, very late to the party because there's a lot of things I don't know. So please okay. explain. Let's talk about turfs for a second because that is a hot topic right now and super important, I think, for people to understand. So, a turf, um, the, the author I was talking about is J.K. Rowling. Um, and so there Harry Potter. Is, We're talking about Harry Potter. Exactly. Author. The okay. author of Harry Potter. Okay. She is um has made it very clear that she is extremely transphobic. And but she comes from it from a different angle that I wanted to address because while I was talking before about toxic masculinity, I was talking about like cishet men who um, you know, primarily uh are are intimidated by and disgusted by trans women. There are also cishet women who are um, fearful, I would say, is, is more appropriate, fearful of trans women because they do not see them as women. They see them as men who are pretending to be women. Um, and that I would say is is tied to like like patriarchy, like violence um, that women experience. So a huge like conversation has been around bathrooms. Um, and so I had a conversation with my cousin about like three or four years ago about bathrooms um, because I know we there was a lot of talk about like having gender neutral bathrooms. And a lot of women expressed fear. They were like, oh, well, men are going to just come into the bathroom and sexually assault like us, 
I actually live in North Carolina where they had the HB2 law that you could not enter the bathroom unless you were born. You can only go into the bathroom of the gender you were born into. Otherwise you could be arrested. In fact, in restaurants, things like that, they could, they, the law gave them the right to not serve you, not let you enter and things like that. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, so there's this other side of it where the fear of, of men is so, so rampant and strong for like cis women that they can't even fathom somebody who is trans. Um, And it's a really like dangerous narrative because again, it's not believing people who are telling us who they are. Um, And, and also uh, this fear is almost of like, giving men um like women's rights it's a weird it's a very weird and like self-centered hatred but I wanted to address that because I know that that is a really common thing we actually have um a Vancouver Rape Relief is an organization in Vancouver that is very famous for for being trans exclusionary. Um, And they've essentially said some very, very messed up things like that, you know, trans women are the ones who are sexually assaulting people and really awful, awful things. I think that comes from, but don't you think that comes from the lack of, so I think that comes from the lack of understanding and people just really not getting, because what they're really thinking is that trans is not, real that it's really just men wanting to wear women's clothes that will give them access to places that women go so they can be next to women which is not what trans is at all but this is why we're trying to start having these conversations because people really need to understand that it is a gender and it is Mm. it's it's real and it's not something that someone has made up one day or or man deciding, oh, I'm going to start wearing women's clothes, but I'm just, it's just make-believe and I'm playing or a woman deciding to just like a man to give her more access to men's things or give her, you know, rights that she didn't have or be seen a certain way, more power, let's say. That's not the reason why now this woman is just like a man. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It really is based on this is who they are it's almost like they were born in the wrong body, right? So their body does not match the the gender sex they were born into doesn't match who they really are. There's not a match. Um, yeah. I even think, though, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Just to add to this conversation, because I love talking about TERFs. It's one of my favorite subjects because they're just so comical to me, but TERFs, it's not only just an ignorance that they have, um, I think it's really important to to talk about this. It's not that they don't have the tools. It's not that they don't have uh, this knowledge. Uh, some terms are it's like a it's a willful hatred of trans people. And essentially, one of the main uh, I guess uh, pillars of being a turf is the belief that men. Um, are born with this patriarchal higher power in society, which we all know to be true. So then they believe that within their own spaces of being a woman, of being um, 
marginalized the way that women are in society that men should have no no uh, space there so they're like they believe that they don't have a space anywhere else so in their own spaces they're like you're not going to come in here into our spaces but it's that misunderstanding that like that is still a woman even if they are trans they may have been born male but they are they're a woman and so they don't make that connection a lot of trans sorry a lot of turfs also uh, use the um the arguments of of biology and how biology is really what matters when we know that scientists have continually um really just not aligned with a lot of the things that turfs come out with and and with a lot of their beliefs um but i i think that it's just really important that we do have that understanding that it's it's not just that they don't get this concept it's just that they really don't want to uh, I can't speak for all terms, um, but a lot of their spaces are purposefully exclusionary of trans folks, of trans women, and they're sometimes even the most violent people towards trans women. Um, and it comes from that belief that like you, you have everything in the world as a man, and now you want to take this from me. You want to take my womanhood when it has nothing to do with you. At the end of the day, like it just has to do with that own person. It has nothing to do with you. You're not getting a piece of your pie taken away. Well, it sounds like it's the same thing when you look at race, racial oh, yeah. divisions, even, you know, sexist divisions. Like mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You always have those people in a group on the side that refuse to see the world differently than the way they see it. And everything has to look and be the way they want it. You know, like white people not wanting to give BIPOC people a space and rights or understanding or thinking that they even deserve it. You know, it it seems like it's all coming, stemming from that same blindness and refusing to be open to someone that is different than you are, period, right? And even like looking historically, this is literally, these are literally the exact same arguments that these people are using are the exact same arguments that were used against gay people from like the 80s through the 90s. Um, And really you've seen this sort of shift where the people who are making those arguments realize that they lost in terms of preventing gay rights to advance and are shifting gears to try to use trans rights as a wedge issue to divide the LGBT community. Um, and it's particularly insidious because they they go under the guise of being themselves progressive. Um, they they go as if they are sort of these they 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 make their way into these these supposedly progressive spaces spaces that should be safe for vulnerable trans people and then create that exclusion within them. And it's it can be a really dangerous thing. The the thing that I take though. Well, one of the things that I try to remind myself is that, again, looking through the 80s and the 90s, like these people have lost once, they'll lose again. They're going to, they're not going to divide us in the way that they have before, um, not in the way that they've tried to. So I think it's it's something that we really have to be vigilant about. I think it's something that we as a community as a whole, both inside the LGBT community and outside of it, uh, just to make sure that we're we're really showing up for the people who are most vulnerable. Especially, especially when you look at it from a community standpoint, like there would be no modern contemporary like LGBTQ civil rights movement without trans people, especially black and brown trans women and trans people like the Stonewall riots that were started in New York 
literally launched the entire movement that we currently have. So there wouldn't even be same-sex marriage today without trans people. But all of the entire movement has been co-opted by people that can assimilate into that hegemonist level of privilege because, yeah, queer people experience discrimination, but a white cisgender gay man is never going to experience what like a black trans woman is going to experience. And even now they're like, in, even in levels of like social capital within the LGBTQ community, like white cis gay men have so much wealth and power um, and have completely co-opted the movement because they are more accepted in the hegemonist society. Um, because people, at least when it comes to like sexual orientation do not weaponize that like weird biological essentialism that we're all talking about where like oh your body is meant to do this and i think it, it always comes down to that because even i remember in the last time that we all met we briefly touched on like eugenics too where like it's like that same thought process of like oh i'm going to use this really faulty science that doesn't actually make sense to continue to push you into a lower class system so that people can continue to step on you and using science that isn't even real because most real scientists will say that even gender and, and sex, like biological sex are bimodal. Like, yes, there are two common options, but there is so much that happens in between um, that it doesn't make sense to act like it's the only thing that exists. Um, so I think TERFs are such a weird category for that reason because it's like what Margot was just saying, like they create this idea that they're progressive, that they're fighting for liberation, but then it's like what white women did to women of color during the suffragette movement. It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we're fighting for women, except you, we don't care about you women. Uh, and they like pick and choose who is important enough for them to fight because it centers them. And it's like, it, as soon as you decenter them, it becomes incredibly uncomfortable. But I think in any, whenever you talk about liberation, you always have to be ready to decenter yourself and ask who is the most vulnerable person in the room. Exactly. When you're talking about liberation, you can't just try to add yourself to the existing structures. You have to look at how you can tear those structures apart in order to include more people. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're just trying to be play that respectability politics, you won't truly be revolutionary in a way that 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 expands what we know is possible. Yeah. That's super, super right on it. And then I also want to add, while we're talking about biology, that people always seem to conveniently forget that there are, like Georgie was alluding to, there are literally people who are born intersex. So mm -hmm. being obsessed with biology, it's just like you're literally ignoring 1% of the population, the same amount. I know I said this last podcast, but I'm going to say it again. That is the <laughs> same percentage of people that are born with red hair of gingers on this planet are born intersex. So talking about biology is just, it's, it's, it's meaningless. It's, played out. it's literally so played out. Like I was just watching uh, a little while ago with my friends. We were watching an episode of Half and Half that they just put on Netflix. And they're at a part where they're going, they're talking about a gender reveal. And it's so like wild to see people. And that was like back then, but people still operate like that where their people are so obsessed. It's like, what genders might be, what genders might be. It's like, you don't, you don't know. Because even seeing them talking about it was so ridiculous. They were like, oh, if you have a girl, you're going to buy her all of these things. And if you have a boy, you're going to play all these sports with them. But it's like most people that are in my day-to-day -day life in my community, like completely break those stereotypes. And all you're doing when you do a quote-unquote like gender reveal is telling people what genitals your child has. And that has pretty much zero to do 
with their personality, what colors they're going to like, what roles or jobs they're going to want to play in society. Like, it literally reveals nothing except their reproductive organs, which is, like, creepy because why do you want people to know what genitals your child has? Like, it's pretty irrelevant unless <laughs> it's, they're, they're the caretaker and they're going to be taking care of that child. Yep. I would say, like, the only thing that, like, is revealed is, like, how society might view that child for however long like yeah it's a I think there is like a lot of just like misinformation purposeful misinformation and again I know we touched on this before but like a huge reason for violence against trans people is colonialism and just like the forcing of uh Christian values on um like other societies and stuff. And so I think like, uh, I know doing some studying about that, like history that a lot of laws have been introduced, like honestly to like uphold, um, the patriarchy as a system. Um, and again, like lots of societies like did not have that before Christianity came in and, and swooped that. So it is like a huge aspect of colonization is like that they really, really wanted to erase uh, trans people from existence. And that's that comes right back to eugenics again. It's like eugenics is just erasing the people that you think like aren't as worthy aren't um human it's like dehumanizing and um you know i was thinking about the word monster recently this is only slight derailment but i think it's necessary to talk about because i was thinking about um frankenstein's monster and how like this guy just like brings somebody back to life who was dead and I was just thinking about like how anything that is alive, like the word monster literally is just a fabricated word to say something scary and different that we're not used to. And when you actually look at anything that like has been called a monster in the past, you know, we talk about um, the, what's it called? It's like, the fuzzy person in the woods, Bigfoot. I was thinking about Bigfoot and I learned like about the history of um, Beauty and the Beast and like where that came from. And that actually like this story is based off of um, somebody, um, basically a noble in France had thought it would be a hilarious joke to like marry his daughter to somebody with a condition that made it so that they grew hair all over their body and that is what that story is based on and they like toured this this family the children also had the same condition they toured them around like a circus it was really messed up and those people were referred to as monsters right but like the word monster is so problematic because it's just pointing a finger and being like that's different and scary and I don't like it so I want to stop using the word monster for that reason because it actually is just a word fabricated to just like, 
you know, other somebody. And I've heard that word being used for trans people before to loop it back in. So, um, yeah, we really like in society try to just push out things that we consider to be irregular. And then people who, who do have these conditions who, or who are like trans or who are just different, just different than, you know, what society is deemed normal have to hide. But I wonder how much of that is the mental brain's lack of capacity for, we don't like, we don't know, we don't know. And if you've never seen the color blue and someone points it out, you can't see it. Like the brain really adjusts to what it knows and struggles what it doesn't. And some of us are able, our brains have the capacity to be flexible and to open up to new things. And then there's some of us, no matter what you do, we're never going to see the color blue. Like we just cannot. And I don't know if it's an evolution thing. I don't know if it's an experience thing, but some people I think literally just can't, you know, for whatever reason, they just, they can't move. And I mean, because you'll see people that even in, you know, we think that let's say a life or death situation or something that's going to a crisis, for instance, they'd like to say that a lot of times in crisis, the times that we are going to change because we're forced to, because crap happens, we maybe almost lost our lives and we have a whole new outlook on life. And even still then some people, no matter what, don't budge. And I've seen from my own experience, um, even though this is so much different, that people, let's say, can't even shift their own emotions within their own life around things that would help them live a healthier, happier life. They can't do it. So I don't know how much of it Surely there's definitely hatred, but I don't, I wonder if any of it also comes from people's just, there's some people that just lack the ability to shift and change no matter what, you know, if you take two people in the same household, experience the same thing, one person, they can both experience something so horrific. One person moves on and is able to live a very happy life heal and grow and change. And the other person stays in crisis for the rest of their life. And nobody really understands why one person was able to get better and the other one wasn't. No one's able really to me to figure that out. So I wonder how much the brain comes into play as far as not being able to accept what it sees in front of them. But anyway, I know JN, you were, tr- you have been trying to say something and you weren't, you haven't been able to. So I want to get, give you the opportunity. I wanted to be able to shift the conversation slightly if we can. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So I wanted to take it back to Margot. You were sharing that your mother, um, when she was accepting that you were trans, wanted to take you to say, do you want to go buy makeup with me? And I think this also goes back to the brain. Like We're like, okay, well, I'm going to try to accept. And so it's like what the brain automatically, what can I associate this with? And so like for a mom's perspective, maybe she was trying to figure out how can I connect to my daughter now? Well, I'm a woman. What are the things that I like? Well, maybe my daughter likes those things. Right. And that was her first um, attempt, but 
I have been thinking a lot about like gender neutral language because there's so many things that we say in our everyday language, you know, like, you know, in the black community, somebody might say, you know, thank you, brother, you know, thank you, but you can't say thank you, brother anymore. Or a parent referring to their child as my daughter or my son. Well, now they are they, them. So you can't refer to your child as my daughter or my son, you know, so there, there's things where you might say, you know, I'm with, you know, might say, oh, I'm, this is my sister. I'm with, I'm, we're sisters, you know, I'm with my sister here. And, um, but those things are no longer relevant when we're talking to someone who's non-binary, for instance, or, you know, how does that, how can we begin to change that language and what language would we use? Like, what would we say? Because these tend to be things that we're sharing that are endearing to someone or how we can maybe connect to a stranger to someone. And, and now, you know, we can't connect in that way. So what would you say instead, or what kind of language can we begin to use? Because I don't think we have just like in, you know, maybe Spanish or French, we may not have that language as it is anyway, right? It's really hard. In the English, I'm not sure how I would begin to do that either. What are your thoughts on that? I think if I can just talk really quickly, um, just because like, this is something that I was actually talking to Zai about earlier, about how I've, I've just really been able to evolve my conversations with my mom uh, from being very transphobic out of pure ignorance to becoming someone that's now not only very understanding, but someone that's an advocate, especially in her, in her workforce as well, which I think is really powerful. Uh, but when she does introduce me to people now, like when we're on the off chance that we are together since she's in Kentucky and I'm, I'm in Florida, um, she just, uh, when she introduces um, me to people, she says, that's my baby. Um, and, and I, I love that. It just has that, that pureness. So that, sweet. That's so right? sweet. <laughs> so she, she's found ways to get around the communication aspect of like how to introduce me as, as their, they, them child, you know, she could say child, but I feel like that sounds so like cold <laughs> and disconnected. Like that's my child, you know? Um, so she'll be like, that's my baby. Like this is Jay, blah, blah, blah. And she's really made it a point to also introduce my pronouns when she introduces me to her friends or to anyone that I'm meeting for the first time that she knows. And and I love that. My mom refers to me as her offspring. And that's a funny one that she's been like, she's asked me before. She's like, what do I refer to you as? Like, I don't really know. So sometimes she says my kid, Um, but I'm going to tell her to call me her baby. I like that way better. It's so sweet. I like that. Um, but yeah, she says offspring. Um, and whenever she says it, it's really funny because she, she'll, she knows the moment is coming. They're like, Oh, and how do you know each other? And she's like, Oh, uh, this is my offspring. You know, she has a little, (laughs) a little look like I'm doing it. I am doing it. Um, so that's her effort, but yeah, I know it. They, finding gender-neutral language for a lot of things is hard. I know we talked before about sibling for, for you know, brother or sister. You can say sibling. And for when you were saying, you know, how in the Black community you would say bro or sis. Um, I know lots of people say sib, like S-I-B. Um, so 
that is often like what I'll use for other non-binary people. I'll say sib. Um, and I also will say mix. So mix is the gender neutral term, like instead of Mr. or Mrs. And so like even like the other day I was calling Jayan and Georgie mix in a conversation. Um, so they're mix, definitely- like M-I-X mix. It's, it's just spelled M-X, but yeah, it's like pronounced like mix. Um, okay. So, and my partner calls me mix all the time and usually I'm in trouble, <laughs> but she'll say, she'll be like, excuse me, mix, but what is happening here? You know, so I, I've found so much joy in, in those new words. I know for nephew and niece, there's nibbling as well, which I'm like, slightly less keen on it sounds really funny but like that's like a what, nibble little nibbles yeah sounds like a nibble. <laughs> um actually j-lo just like came out with this mm-hmm. like documentary about her nibbling and she like refers to them as her nibbling and i was like j-lo yes so <laughs> it was yeah. so beautiful when she, when she posted about them on instagram i remember a lot of people started talking about it because it was such like a well-known person, especially from like the Latinx community, being like, mm-hmm. this is my non-binary family member. And it was so validating for so many people, especially people that grew up listening to JLo. It was really special. Mm-hmm. And on the note of language too, I feel like it's so like exciting. And I I kind of try to get a lot of like cis folks in that mindset because I think a lot of people operate, I think in part of so many reasons because of cancel culture and wanting to um, say the right thing and not say the wrong thing. People operate out of fear. Like, oh my God, I can't call them this. What do I call them? And then it becomes this really like stressful thing mm-hmm. where I think like language is supposed to evolve. You know, if you look at the way that English mm-hmm. was spoken in 2020 versus 1920s versus 1820s and just keep going back, like English itself has evolved so much. Um, and even recognizing that we're using like a colonial That's language. That's so true though. That's so true. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that. We only know the language that we speak right now. That's so true that it evolves and so now it's time to evolve like it's just finding the right words right exactly mm-hmm. and making it fun like having these jokes of like oh nibbling is so it's such a funny word and then going through all of these like steps and evolutions and just I, I think the reason that it's so important to recognize that it's a colonial language too is realizing that so much of transness in other cultures especially in like when we talk about the two-spirit experience is like cultural preservation so sometimes these are really beautiful opportunities to bond with other um, cultures and other uh, regions in the world that do have gender variant experiences and learning what their language is and how their language has evolved over time. Um, Because I think of like the Mahu in Hawaii and I think of like so many different variations of like two-spirit people across cultures in North America and there's a thousand different ways to talk about so you have to explain true spirit because you can't throw something new out there without telling us what that is (laughs) well so please explain two spirit yeah two spirit is a term that was coined in the 1990s at an international or intertribal gathering of different indigenous communities and first nations from turtle island which is what native folks call uh, what we know as North America. Um, so in Turtle Island, there was this intertribal gathering and they realized that they needed a word because in every different tribe and nation, there is a different term and a different language for a trans person, a gay person, uh, someone that might be a lesbian, someone that is trans masculine, that is trans feminine. There's all these different words. Um, but because of the English language being 
the colonial language that we all communicate to each other in, um, they realized that there was a need for a term that could kind of capture that experience because in indigenous communities, uh, being queer is not necessarily just like an identity tag or like something like a category. It's actually a role that you fulfill most of the time. So in the community, two-spirit people play a specific role, whether that's in spiritual ceremony, in communal and tribal law. There's just like a special place for queer people. Um, so that's what two-spirit is. It's basically an indigenous term that is used to describe people of a gender variant experience. And sometimes that can include sexual variance, but it's oftentimes sexual or gender diversity. Sorry, I hope that was a good explanation. I kind of mumbled through it a little bit. <laughs> no, that was great. Yeah, that was great. That was good. That was really great. Yeah, I think really thinking about it, even as a parent, um, I think as a parent, we go through so many different levels um, when our children tell us that they're trans or non-binary because as a parent, we talked a little bit before about that perfect picture and really changed that. So I think really it's like then learning how to reconnect. What I find is so incredibly interesting is that this really forces us and I'm a big believer this anyway forces us to begin to have more conversation like you have to ask we can no longer live in the assumptions of anything especially assumptions around people we have to be able to open up the dialogue and start having a question having the conversation about what do you like what would you like me to call you how can we connect now that you're telling me that you're a trans woman or trans man the ideas of what, of the, of the activities that I thought we could do together, maybe these things are no longer interest you, or they probably didn't interest you at all before at all. Would they interest you now? Or maybe you still have the same interests. They have nothing, you being trans has nothing to do with your interests now changing, or maybe they do, I don't know, but that's where that, you know, really being honest and vulnerable enough to connect to someone to really begin to have the conversations of what does that mean and what does it look like? Because the experience is going to be different for everybody. And if you're someone who you're a parent or a sibling of someone who's trans is being, not being afraid to ask the questions. I think a lot of times we're also afraid because we're afraid we're going to offend someone or afraid that we're going to make someone angry. Or I think last time, Jan, you mentioned that not everyone wants to talk about it, their trans experience or their trans life. So with that said, it's like if they're not willing to talk about it, then how does someone show up for them if they're not wanting to talk about it, if someone is willing to ask the questions, right? Like we all have to figure out how to be together and we can't know how to be together if, not, if we're not willing to have the difficult conversations around what that looked like and what that actually means. Do you, do you know what I mean? Does it make sense? Yeah, I think for sure I, I am aligning with what you're saying. I think in order to really have uh, a world where everyone feels safe, validated, and heard, you have to have conversations, especially difficult conversations. You don't really grow otherwise. Um, I just think that it's important, just like when we have conversations about race, that we're cognizant that maybe that person might not be in that space at that moment in time to speak about it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they won't ever. And if they are in that space, really thinking about the reasons why maybe they're feeling uncomfortable in the social setting that they are, or maybe you just have to build on that conversation more in order to really get that information from someone. Um, 
I, I'm a firm believer that you should always ask and, and never just make assumptions. So I a hundred percent do think that if you're curious about something, go to someone and ask them the question. I, I can't think of any trans person within my own personal experience um, that would ever shoo someone away when they're genuinely curious about their transness or about their experience. I think the two important things to really just remember is conversations about uh, body parts should never be had. They're just disrespectful. And what I mean by that is like, you should never ask someone if they're post-op, pre-op, um, you're, you're placing focus on the, the sexual transition that first of all, not every trans person will want to go through. Uh, and, and, and second of all, you're placing that focus on their body parts and not really themselves and their experience. And oftentimes that's what really happens in the media uh, where trans people are really just kind of their story sold as this one experience, right? It's, it's typically a man that's transitioning to a woman and they're having the, the gender affirming, uh, surgeries. So really straying away from that. Cause that's, I think what the issue with the media is, is that we have this one story of what transness is. And that has a lot to do with the fact that for the first time ever, trans people are actually having media time. So now we have to just uh, diversify those stories. So just being aware of that. And second of all, the, the, the thing I mentioned in the beginning is that like if that conversation doesn't go somewhere, think about what the reason could be. Are you asking from a place of genuine curiosity and wanting to be an ally? Or is your question something that is making them sound uh, objectified? You know, like are, are you taking the humanity piece away? Because I think that that's something that people can do very easily. Um, Georgie brushed up on this earlier, but cancel culture is something that I think everyone is really afraid of right now. Um, I, I actually do think that cancel culture is something that does have its place in society in some ways. And what I mean by that is that you should never be canceled when you make a mistake, when you make two mistakes, when you make three mistakes, but when you're continually making the same mistake and someone's giving you those tools to be better and you're choosing to not change, that's where that canceling will happen. And I'm a firm believer, again, that a lot of people that are trans, that are gender nonconforming, that fall within these identities, um, we're more than willing to educate people. We're more than willing to give you the chances to mess up because, like, that's part of being human, right? Um, I think I said this, too, last time that we connected is that, like, I make mistakes. You know, we all do. We all make mistakes. Uh, and, and that's just part of being, being human. It's, it's what you do with that mistake. It's, it's the educating after that. It's making sure that you don't make that mistake again. I think that's so true. And I will um, be vulnerable and admit this, that when I first, my first, very first experience with someone who is trans, I made the terrible mistake of, of asking them about um, if they had had surgery. Like I was just curious and it, I, I did not understand being trans at all. It was my first experience. I, I didn't even understand the scope of what I was doing was so um, disrespectful. And I greatly, greatly wish I could apologize to that person now because I, I was just ignorant. I just had no idea. And um, I was coming from a place deep place of curiosity, wanting to understand that was just the worst question to ask someone because it was so violating and 
there's so many things I could have asked to get to know them versus that. So, you know, we may be curious as humans and, you know, curiosity is okay, but there's just certain things you never ask someone, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like I would never go to someone and say, Hey, do you sleep with men or do you sleep with women? Like somebody I don't know. So why did I think that I could ask that question? That's so extremely personal. It's just so personal. And Mm -hmm. so I really didn't have any tools in my basket whatsoever to help me with the conversation that we were in having. And then I, and then on top of it, I thought that I could ask that question. So Thank you all so much for clarifying that and for sharing and for educating us because I think we don't know and it's time, you know, the times are different and, you know, the world is changing so much and it's time for us to step up as cisgender people and do something about accepting everyone and learning how, I think we all, not even just cisgender, I think we all just need to learn how to be with one another and there's just so much going on in the world that the the way we've been doesn't work anymore. It's not okay. It doesn't work. It's about creating new connections and new ways and being in new communities and new ways. And we really need to learn how to do that and do a better job. Mm-hmm. Before, I just, go ahead. Yeah, I just quickly want to take a, a second to just celebrate this realization because that's what this is really all about. That's the whole point of these beautiful conversations is that you had that growth and and that's what we hopefully want to inspire in everyone is that understanding that we all mess up. I, like I said, I come from a, a place where transphobia is alive and well being from the Caribbean. Um, and so I unfortunately was very transphobic growing up. And I think a lot of that had to do too with my internal issues of trying to understand and love myself and respect myself. Um, but I also want to, just give a little bit of context that a lot of people think this way. A lot of people think it's okay to ask that question. And I think it really a hundred percent has to do with the media. And that's why we really need to have that shift and what the trans narrative is. It's not about what body parts you have for many trans people. The body parts don't even matter. Yes. There are trans people that that does matter too, but it's like, we're reducing the trans experience to just that. And on top of that, like you said, donate, it's a very personal question that no one should really be asked especially the first time you meet someone, which oftentimes is when people really get asked that question. Yeah, I remember that the person, I got feedback through someone else later that the person was really upset and that person was no longer, I was no longer anywhere near them to say anything, but I was horrified because I was horrified that they were upset and I was horrified that I hurt them because I really wasn't coming from a mean place, but it's taken me a while to understand the gravity of that question, right? Like I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know um, how invasive that question is, but now I get it. So yeah, thank you. Before mm-hmm. we, before, um, so I wanna circle back around to you, Margot, before we end, because you got cut off. So if I could ask you the question again. So in the last podcast, you, um, introduce yourself with it, it's, and you did it again today. And I haven't had the opportunity to ask you about that. I've never heard anyone introduce themselves with those pronouns before. And I was hoping that you can explain those pronouns and why you chose those pronouns and just give some context to them for me, please. 
Yeah, of course. I'd be glad to. I mean, for one, I think that the simple answer is that they they feel affirming and right. I think that's kind of what most of what why anyone uses any pronoun kind of boils down to, but why I use that specifically, uh, I, there's a few reasons for it. I think for one, uh, I mean, for one, it's kind of been, it's, it's sort of been a, a way to sort of re, reclaim and reconceptualize my past, sort of like growing up in a pretty conservative area. Like I learned slurs for my various identities before I learned the actual words to describe those identities. And like, I don't know, seeing 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 people referred to as it before seeing them referred to as like actual what their pronouns were. So in a way sort of, and, and that obviously hurt <laughs> even before I realized that it applied to me. So it was kind of a way to sort of reconceptualize that and kind of turn that on its head um, and kind of, kind of kind of reclaim those experiences uh and kind of find strength in them instead of we like take your power back it sounds like yeah, to me yeah like exactly take your power it. and own it yeah yeah exactly it just kind of own it and take that power back and make it make it and kind of create a space where i could be myself within it um I think that's been especially valuable. Like that's that's not even just something that's limited to like growing up. That's something that I still receive anyway. Um, but like, I think it's especially powerful looking at like one's childhood because like trans people often have pretty difficult relationships with our childhoods because like for so many of us, it's incredibly difficult to not get to live as yourself. You don't get to have really just like a full childhood where you can kind of just be yourself. So to be able to recontextualize it and say, you know what, I was myself in, in these ways, or like, it, it, it is like you said, it's kind of getting that strength back, which is which is a valuable experience for me anyway. Um, I also find it has been valuable in sort of connecting with like aspects of like, I don't know, there's there's definitely a long history of, of sort of evolving pronouns and, and changing and pushing the envelope with, with what we can and can't do. And I think it's kind of seeing, seeing other trans people who have kind of pushed that beyond the boundaries of what we expect has been really valuable for me. So to be able to do that myself has kind of been, again, finding, finding strength in, in other people's actions and support. And yeah, I think it connects also to sort of some of the things we were talking about earlier about how often, even when you come out as a trans person, there's certain constraints that are placed on you. Like I talked about how in terms of my presentation, I felt like after after I first came out, I was kind of trading the, the constraint of like who I was for a constraint of how I had to express myself. Um, and sort of this, and I and I, I see this in as something that doesn't just affect me, but it affects a lot of people around me. And it's something that I've struggled with. And it's something that I've found a lot of, um, and something that I try to push back to, push back against, um, both in how I present myself, like physically and like the clothes I wear, but also in terms of like how I dress myself and refer to myself. Um, so I think in kind of, subverting expectations and subverting the norm, I find it as a way to 
to ultimately create space for others. Because I think if we just try to constantly meet expectations and we constantly try to fit the society that is already there and the, the language that is already there, we won't be able to create space for people who don't fit within the current confines of that society. So I think, I, I, and I think, and I think that's something that we really have to, to internalize on a, on a deep level. And this is kind of one of the reflections of me doing that. I love that. That is really beautiful. I think that's really, really beautiful. Thank you thank so you. much for, thank, thank you, you so much for sharing that. Uh, I'll try to make it quick because I I don't want to like as like over complicate certain things, but I just love hearing Margot speak on that specifically because I think it really I feel like pushes the conversation in the direction that a lot of us want to have it in, and I think that you know when we because I'm sure Margot has experienced this and all the all the folks on here have where like I I just feel like trans people have this incredible like power like mentally, spiritually, and emotionally to like expand and contract and discover and analyze and really like look at identity in a completely different way than how it's presented to us. Um, that I think that, you know, like it pronouns and like these kind of concepts are not things that you can have, uh, are not conversations that you can have with like the average cisgender person that doesn't operate in that mentality. Cause they're like, well, what do you mean it? So you're, so you're an object. So, you, you know, they kind of like don't see the nuance and the power and the way that the language and kind of culture that we're creating for ourselves has and like the value that it has. Cause it makes me think of like, even when we've seen uh, like when Zai and I were talking one time about like drag and there's like drag queens and drag kings and then there's drag things people that are non-binary drag artists that kind of embrace that ambiguous, like, I'm a thing, like, I'm whatever the fuck I want to be. And I think that once we pass the 101 of gender of, like, these are this and this is that, you can get into this really expansive place where I think is the real magic in, like, transness, which is, like, very, like, limitless and uh, breaks stereotypes and categories and abilities to, like, confine I just think that it's really beautiful when we get into these spaces because I've met trans people that are like my gender is the river like my gender are these trees and especially indigenous mm -hmm. folks and people all around the world that have this special relationship to the earth and like the way that their gender plays a role in that I think is so beautiful and I think it's a conversation that I wish we could have on a more day-to-day -day. so I just want to say that I really love Aww. how you said that and all the beautiful places that too. take us <laughs> I do too. That is so, thank you so much, Jordi. That is so, just so beautiful and mystical. And I think it's a great way for us to end this conversation today. So thank you all so, so, so much for joining me on this journey and being willing to have a conversation and your openness and sharing and I just think that this is a really powerful conversation and, and I hope people walk away after listening with a type of spiritual upliftment and with their eyes open and embracing the world in a whole new way and really starting to think about how we can begin to really create real communities and real connections and real relationships because I think the time has come for all that to be different and on such a deeper level and um yeah it's so beautiful so thank you all so so 
so much for this conversation. It's just been really amazing. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and are now inspired to begin having your own conversations. Even though it might be scary, challenging, and uncomfortable, it will be so worth it. I know that I've personally learned so much and I feel like I'm a better person. I feel very fortunate to have been given the opportunity to call JN, Zai, Margo, and Georgie, my colleagues and friends. I feel as though my heart has expanded. I hope that you take a chance and find the courage to expand yours. I'm your host, Donnie O, and remember to move through and with heart. Until next time, bye.